Hello and welcome to BBC News. The first consignment of medical aid has reached Sudan since the war broke out there nearly three weeks ago. The International Committee of the Red Cross says a plane landed at Port Sudan with eight tonnes of relief supplies, including health kits for hospitals. It hopes to get security guarantees to send humanitarian aid to the capital, Khartoum, and also the wider Darfur region. Despite a ceasefire being in place, the past few hours has seen intense clashes in Khartoum as the army tries to dislodge the rival rapid support forces. Residents are being urged to remain indoors and stay away from windows. Tens of thousands of civilians have abandoned their homes and are fleeing Sudan. The UK's last evacuation flight left Sudan in the early hours. The Foreign Office has said that nearly 1,900 people have been flown out of the country since Tuesday. Meanwhile, the United States has completed its first evacuation of citizens from the country. Other countries like Saudi Arabia are also getting people out, heading to Jeddah via Port Sudan on the Red Sea coast. So let's hear from some of those evacuees. I was working in the Sudan from the last 13 years and uh, due to the situation of peace and security here due to this war, I left everything, my house, my car, my everything. And my All the saving of 13 years I'm living here, really. How do you feel? Uh, just to save my life, I'm happy. Just go back, alhamdulillah. But uh, because my all the things are here, it is nothing. It's not feeling well. Alhamdulillah, finally we are on board, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, it feels it feels really good uh, to be in in uh, really uh, good company. Very nice people here. Um, at the moment, you know, we, we got on board. They, they served us sweets and water, and uh, they have been looking after us uh, all this time. And uh, uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, it, it was um, a little difficult getting on board, but uh, I think uh, you know the people here are very professional. They managed to get everyone on board without any kind of mishap. Well, our correspondent Lise Doucette has taken the journey in the opposite direction, beginning in Jeddah, and she sent this report from Port Sudan. Every face, every person in this waiting tugboat tells a story of Sudan. Look at the exhaustion. They've made a dangerous journey to get here to Port Sudan. They've told, they told us they've waited hours here, waiting for a boat to be evacuated. And now it's 4 a.m. in the morning, and they're within touching distance of a, of a safety route to leave this violence. But from here, they'll go to a Saudi warship, and then it's a 10-hour journey across the Red Sea. So many now uncertain about what lies ahead. But when I asked one laborer from Nepal whether he would come back to Sudan, he said Sudan is finished. And that was Lise Doucette there. Well, for the Sudanese residents unable to leave, life is getting increasingly difficult. We've been speaking to Hamid Khalifala, one of the millions of people trapped in their homes by the continuous fighting. Now he's in Khartoum and he explained what they do when the bombs begin to fall. Well, when, when there is very loud bombing and when it gets uh, closer, we take shelter in the house, uh, try to all uh, come to a central room far from uh, windows, from, from, far from walls and so on, and just lay on the floor until it passes. Uh, when it's a bit further, uh, we try to use the uh, quiet uh, 
uh, hours that we get, a couple of hours a day to just quickly go out and, and, and get what we need, uh, which is also very risky, but we have to do it uh, anyway. It's water that we don't have, uh, so we need to leave. There are no uh, safe passages uh, for Sudanese to leave uh, Khartoum uh, or for humanitarian uh, assistance to access Khartoum. Uh, unfortunately, all the uh, international uh, support or the international uh, governments have been focused on getting uh, a ceasefire that could work for evacuating uh, foreign nationals and to get uh, safe passages uh, for them to leave the country. And I'm glad that worked, but it's unfortunate that they did not try to do the same for Sudanese citizens to get safe passages uh, for people uh, trapped in the crossfire to leave or for humanitarian assistance to reach them in their houses. Uh, meanwhile, they're living in very difficult situations. And that is Hamid Khalifala there speaking to us uh, earlier on the programme. Live now to Marty Flax, who has spent four years working as the US Special Envoy for Sudan on the peace agreement with South Sudan. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Um, I just want to first off touch on one of the key concerns um, around this conflict, and that is helping those that have remained in Sudan and having enough aid, enough water, enough food. How fast or has that been, has that been moving in a timely fashion? Well, thanks for having me. It's taken some time for humanitarian aid to start getting to the places it's desperately needed in Sudan, and there's a few reasons for that. The, the international aid community has a long history of providing assistance in Sudan, but the places where we're seeing active fighting, like Khartoum, uh, are places that they haven't historically had to have an active uh, assistance presence. And remember, Khartoum has never seen fighting on this scale before. And so it's taken some time for them to reposition their personnel and their assistance to places like Khartoum, but also, as you mentioned, Port Sudan, uh, the Sudanese-Egyptian border, where we're seeing tens of thousands of people make the difficult journey to try and uh, leave the active fighting zone, but find themselves desperately in need of assistance when they get there. We're also seeing the places where humanitarian aid is very active in places like Darfur. Aid organizations are also being targeted. Uh, yesterday, MSF reported that one of its hospitals was targeted by the warring parties, and that limits their ability to provide assistance, even in places where they have the logistical infrastructure. Um, Marty, I wonder if I could just say that it's, it's fair and well for the international community to be calling for aid to be entering uh, Sudan, South Sudan, also the Darfur region and West, West Darfur. But if the two men at the centre of this are not aiding that humanitarian help to get to the people that need it, what's the point? The fighting continues. Well, that's right. Ultimately, this conflict is the responsibility of the warring parties, and they have an obligation to uh, allow their citizens to get the assistance they need and to not target either civilians or the aid organizations trying to help them. What we've seen in the last week or so is a series of very short-term, one- to three-day ceasefires that have been intermittently adhered to by the parties, but have provided a little bit of breathing room, as you said, for some people to leave Khartoum, for some people to get out and get supplies. But what we really need in the immediate uh, present term is a, a longer-term ceasefire that comes with an agreement by those warring parties to let aid come through and to let people who want to leave, leave. You've worked with us 
peace plans and uh, negotiations uh, concerning South Sudan. Like you said, we're dealing with uh, two men. This is a power struggle, essentially. Everybody knows that a ceasefire is necessary and a working ceasefire. What is it going to take for them to agree? Can they agree? Well, it's going to take a long-term sustained effort um, to engage at a high level by the international community. Uh, this isn't a conflict that's going to get resolved in a matter of days or even a matter of weeks, even if a ceasefire is put into place with enough uh, sticks and carrots and pressure from the international community to put down the guns temporarily uh, to get to any kind of sustainable political solution that doesn't just involve two armed men with, uh, with armies, but actually involves the broader Sudanese political political class and civil society organizations to create uh, a lasting peace is going to take a really sustained months and years long effort that the international community needs to be supporting. Marty, um, the international community were involved in the agreement that failed on April the 1st. What more can they do to stop the fighting now? Because so far nothing's happened, nothing's worked. Is it up to That's the international right. community? Well, it's up to the international community to provide what assistance they can and to put the to, to leverage the tools that they have available towards to these warring parties, both the uh, incentives, but most importantly, at this moment, the sticks, the the, the uh, sanctions, and the other tools that they can use to um, pressure those parties that to, to understand that they will face consequences if they don't take steps towards what? resolving this okay. conflict. Um, seeing as you've been involved in these discussions, like I said. What is in that toolbox when it comes to sticks and carrots specifically? Because we're hearing the same thing over and over again. You know, it's up to them to use these incentives. What are they? Absolutely. Well, I think they, they do need to be thinking very strategically about sanctioning the parties that are involved in this conflict, but also making clear to the, the countries and the parties that support them from outside that they can't continue to supply them weapons. They can't con continue to supply them financial aid or political support and to cut off that kind of rear guard support that's allowing these parties to continue to fight and continue to be in power. It's also about making sure that when we get to a sustained negotiation that is broader than just a one to three day uh, ceasefire, that we st are strategic about who we invite to those conversations, that it's not just a conversation between two generals with militaries, but that we invite a much broader group of Sudanese uh, individuals who have uh, a role in the in the country's political future and to make clear to these men that they are not the only options in terms of the future of Sudan's government. Okay, Marty Flax, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Thank you.